Hello, and welcome to Within the Musician podcast. This show is a place of discovery for all performers, recording artists, students, educators, and future educators. My name is Monica Williams, and I'm a flutist, teaching artist, recording artist, performer, and lifelong learner. Today, I have a very special guest. We are going to talk about the intricacy of the brain and how that can affect its development. How music can actually help students experiencing challenges in academics. And then we'll talk about why it might be easier to start as an earlier student, but also how it's super beneficial to start music as an adult. We're also going to talk about music therapy, how it's helpful and who it's helpful for. I have my on my guest today, he is a board certified music therapist as well as an award-winning composer and jazz musician. He plays many instruments with over 36 years of experience, and he also has a PhD in community education. He is someone I've known for many, many, many years as well. He's one of the teaching artists at the Contra Costa Music Guild. That's that collective of teachers I've been talking about that we started in the early pandemic to provide services to a wider range of students um, online currently. So I'm going to welcome Stefan Betts to the show. Thank you for being here, Stefan. And thank you for having me, Monica. I appreciate it. Yes. Um, so I thought we would start off talking about what the, the music therapy and then we'll kind of delve into some of the um, the just general music and brain development, which is such an interesting topic for me. So I'm so glad you're here to talk about it. Um, so I know that you're a talented musician. I've heard you play, but you're also a great music therapist. Can you tell me what music therapy is and how you would describe even music therapy to someone that really doesn't know much about it? Yeah. So music therapy is like medicine. We apply medicine to a broken leg or to a heart or to the brain, to all kinds of parts in our lives. And uh, music therapy is like that. So we can apply music therapy to help with depression, to help kids grow, to help kids focus, to help adults regain language after they lost language or partially regain language after they lost language, to um, support memory and stave off memory loss. So when you ask what is music therapy, I would uh, say it's the evidence-based use of music in interventions that are medically oriented, meaning there has to be a medical diagnosis. There has to be a reason why you need an intervention. And the intervention in this case is a musical intervention. Now, for a long time, since music therapy started in the 40s here in America, we had um, we had an exploration of the possibilities how music can be effective as a therapy. And in the last 20 years, we started to have real evidence um, based on the long history of music therapy here in America. And so now we can uh, see that certain effects and certain interventions are evidence-based, meaning they've been tested, they've been retested, they've been corroborated by other um, researchers, and um, they are set interventions that can be taught independent of the personality of the music therapist, and that can be used uh, on a standard basis. So um, if you compare, for instance, with medicine, if I go to the doctor and say, uh, look, I've got a broken foot and I need it healed, the standard procedure for a broken foot is not based on the doctor's opinion, right? It's based <laughs> on what's prescribed as what do you do to fix that foot? And it's the same thing in music therapy. The standard interventions are not based on the music therapist's personal opinion, but they are um, used based on research evidence and they're taught in schools. So you have to have a degree in music therapy and you have to be 
board certified to be acting as a music therapist in America. So that said, there's a special, let's say, talent that a music therapist brings to the interaction with a patient or client or consumer. And that is something called float. Um, And we'll get to that when we talk about brain development. Gotcha. So I like this, this idea that it is medicine. So it's not just about song and games and clapping your hands and having a good time for that half hour, hour, 45 minutes. There's an actual strategy that goes beyond just happy, good, feel good um, um, song and dance. Yes. Right. Now, there's nothing, mm-hmm. nothing bad about happy, feel good. No, and having fun, and as therapy should be. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Um, but you don't need a music therapist for that, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, You Mm -hmm. need a music Mm -hmm. therapist who knows about clinical interventions, and then you just need uh, a friend to do a happy feel-good. Mm-hmm. So what are the age ranges that are appropriate for music therapy? Uh, like when your clients, how, where do they range and fall um, on the spectrum? My, personally, in my private practice, I have clients ranging from three years old and the oldest was 67. But I know from other music therapists that uh, they work with folks who are 70, 80 years old. So really music therapy is um, applicable to all age groups. And um, you've probably heard about the Mozart effect and then folks take a CD and play Mozart music to the babies. Um, That's debatable, but... And, and, you know, why would you need a clinical intervention for a two-year-old? You probably wouldn't. <laughs> so there's, there's a distinction between using music as a stimulant that is um, helping the brain to develop and then music therapy as a clinical intervention where you want to address some either impairments or um, some behaviors or um, some problems that somebody has physically, right? Right. Um, But even if you have a physical disability um, at age four, you would be uh, making good use of music, for instance. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would say age, age group three upwards to end of life. Interesting. You know, and I never thought about this before. Since it is scientific based and intervention based and um, treating a, a condition, are, are insurances accepted generally? Uh, that's a very good you- question. That's a very good question. Yeah. And, and, and when I, I, just when I said age three to end of life, I heard a whole bunch of music therapists scream at me through the air. (laughs) (laughs) Because there is actually a very, very cool program that I admire immensely, and that is called the uh, Music Activated Lullaby Activated Pacifier. Um, the, The Lullaby Activated Pacifier is this. If I have a newborn in the intensive care unit, neonatal intensive care unit. Um, Those newborns, of course, are very sensitive to environmental disturbances like noise. Mm -hmm. And if if one of the babies has pain and starts crying, all the other kids in the NICU, so-called NICU, neonatal intensive care unit, Mm -hmm. also start crying. Right. So there's one music therapist came up with this wonderful idea um, to prevent the crying and um, mitigate the external noise using lullabies. So there's lullabies that are um, played into the uh, crib of the uh, baby when they activate their pacifier. Right. Um they activate their pacifier when they're getting stressed and when they need something, right? And um, they uh, respond to lullabies uh, that calm them down. And that had an immense effect on the NICUs in hospitals. So let me rephrase that. There are interventions that are starting actually 
at the first day of your life, but they're very specified, mm -hmm. right? They're in hospital interventions, mm -hmm. which gets me to the, okay, is this paid for? Yes and no. Um, there are, there are health insurances that pay for, uh, private practice music therapy. If you have music therapy in the hospital, for instance, Boston's Children's Hospital in, employs a lot of music therapists. They are bundled into the daily rate, right? So the mm -hmm. Boston uh, thinks, okay, what can a music therapy do for particular patients? And then um, they pay the music therapist, but they bundle the expense of the music therapist into their daily rate. Um, there are not-for-profit organizations that use music therapists and bill for the services, but not directly as music therapy. Uh, instead, they bill it as rehabilitation. There are skilled nursing facilities that do that, um, rehabilitation clinics that do that. Um, the, the biggest issue that we are looking at right now is Medicare and Medicaid because both programs have expanded quite a bit. And in some states, Medicare is, um, paying for some, um, interventions, uh, the outpatient interventions. And in some other states, Medicaid is even paying for, uh, interventions, but not in the state of California where I live. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, that can expand to be more. You know, it, it makes me think of this video I just saw. Like it was a viral video. Maybe you saw this, um, but it was a Parkinson's patient, and there was some kind. I don't know if it was a music therapist or just a a um, home health therapist, but they put music on. And they got the patient to feel the beat and they walked much more controllably with less of a gait. I mean, it was noticeably a different walk and um, a mobility issue with the music versus without the music. So it was like, you know, if you need visual um, tangibility of the benefit of music, that was actually a very, very visual thing. So yeah. hopefully. Yeah. I, I have a kid. Yeah, I have a kid and we tried to, the, we being the, the um, team for the kid, the clinical team, we tried to get him to walk and um, didn't work so well because he just didn't want to, you know, he mm -hmm. just didn't want mm -hmm. to walk. And then I, at one, in one music session, I put the keyboard 10 feet away and said, okay, let's walk to the, <laughs> and boy, this guy got up from his wheelchair and didn't walk, but he made step by step with assistance, you know, towards the keyboard. Mm -hmm. um, and you are right. For some people, it's easier to start dancing than it is to start walking, right? Mm -hmm. um, simply because the brain is formatted in a way that when you engage with sound, all of the brain engages. So there's a guy um, mm. who wrote a book, Your Brain on Music, um, and mm -hmm. Daniel Levitin. I don't know whether you've seen the videos, but <laughs> uh, he he put musicians into an MRI machine and let them play their instruments. And okay, I know I know the name. I recorded, yeah, uh -huh. recorded the 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 brain waves in and the changes, the chemical changes in the brain in real time. And what he found is that when we engage in music, the entire brain engages. And so when you mm. when you think I need to walk, there's only a part of your brain that starts getting activated, right? That's connected to your muscles and to the feedback, um, the, to your nervous system. But when you dance, everything in your brain is activated. You know, the language, probably mm -hmm. you know the song, right? The um, perception of noise, smells are activated sometimes because they, the music evokes memories, um, and so suddenly you start getting much more engaged and, um, suddenly you mm -hmm. start walking, right? Same for yeah. language. That's Sometimes we, our language recall is limited because we're trying to sp specifically focus on a part of our memory, right? Um, and then when you back off uh, from from that over-focused approach and just let the music flow, the 
the music triggers the words that go with it. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's very true. Yeah. Yeah. Like I can never recall thing lyrics without the context of the melody that goes in them. So, right. yeah. Right. So this whole concept of the brain is fascinating. I've always been fascinated by it and that we only know such, even from the scientific uh, point of view, a fraction of what the, the brain does, even still today with all of our amazing technology and scientists and um, perceptions. But we know, and we've all read studies like this, that music does help in the early years and and we were talking about music therapy specifically but also just the the person that does not have disabilities that music actually does help the brain in some way develop maybe a little bit faster would you be in agreement with that statement and why is that um well simply because the stimulant is there so the more I stimulate the brain, the more growth I get. And that goes for bad stimulants as well as good stimulants. Mm-hmm. I, I, if, if I feed a baby crack, then the baby gets stimulated, you know, and it, mm-hmm. it gets stimulated very much. They get very hyper, they get uh, very agitated and they get pain and they experience high levels of pain. And um, so I can, I can, take a baby's brain and stimulate that brain and the brain will just take anything that's there, absorb it and run with it. So if I feed music to the brain, um, the the baby will respond to the pulse. The brain will um, start activating and the, the brain will start integrating the noise and the sounds Mm-hmm. And uh, um, awareness of the environment is it's much more heightened, right? Because the um, sound is coming from outside. Plus, mm-hmm. the brain itself is, we used to see the brain as a machine or as an organ, very much in a Newtonian sense, right? You, you take a hammer and smash against something and then force against repellent force and all that. But that's actually not how the brain works. We discovered, um, we used, um, we tested some human decision-making models, um, where, where, we had to, or the human subjects had to decide between morals and their own personal advantage, for instance, um, and mm. and either make an either or choice. And a lot of the humans who were the test subjects changed the name of the game to a both and. They they either refused to choose, <laughs> or they chose both. Um, so which 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 then led to a whole new branch of brain research. What is going on with a brain that can um, actually write its own rules and redefine the rules rather than reacting to something? So the Newtonian uh, definition of a brain would be you put something in, you get something out. Well, that doesn't doesn't actually apply to our human brain. The brain brings about new stuff that um, is invented by the brain itself, right? So the the brain can function as as um, a, a, more than an organ. It's it it absorbs part of the environment, but it also is part of the environment, right? So, for instance, when we listen to music the, or we hear noises in the uh, surrounding um, our home or far away, there's a fire engine coming at us, the brain actually is pre-acute um, to that level of noise, meaning the, the brain cells themselves shoot out a certain frequency to the ears so that the ears are already active and they um, mm-hmm. then react to the difference between their own activity and the noise that they're hearing outside. So it's like a, a dynamo. You got to crank up, or, you know, you probably don't know that, but I'm older than you. So I, I still remember the cars that my, my grandparents had. I've seen pictures when you had to crank up the, the car first mm-hmm. before you could even start mm-hmm. the engine. 
right? My mom told me mm-hmm. how that would work. Um, and it's a little bit like that, right? The, the brain cranks itself mm-hmm. up to be more aware of the environment. And that's how, what happens with a baby. So when you give noise, but also signals to the brain, the baby then responds to that and then builds the brain cells and the brain connections mm-hmm. that need to be built mm-hmm. um, and activates the brain growth much faster than if you do not use music. So yes, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, should I play Mozart CDs to my baby? Probably not because it's not very meaningful to the baby. Should I sing lullabies to the baby? Oh, Yes. Should I look the baby in the eye rather than on my phone? Oh, yes. Because the baby will respond to that external response, uh, the external stimulus, and then take that and run with it. And boy, do they run with it. You, you see those MRIs from baby brains that get activated. It's, it's like fireworks. And there are lots of brain cells in that little brain that need to be connected in a very short time. And the the baby doesn't mm. lose any time over that. You know, when you walk right. down the street and you look at babies, um, even now with our masks, they look for the eyes. They, they try to make that eye, that eye contact. They try to make that connection because that's what their brains need. That's amazing. Yeah. You bring up the point about masks. It's, it's true. The eyes are, are really looking at someone in the eyes is, is I think really um, important. So that, that explains a lot about the babies. What about a young child? So this is a question both of us teach um, private music as well. Um, And how young is too young? And you know, let's take piano, for instance, you can start a child on piano as early as three, they're not going to progress nearly as quickly as someone that starts at age six or seven. So therefore, I'm just taking the the devil's advocate approach to a parent that's thinking about music integration in their in their children's life. Is it worth it to start a three, four, five year old just for the purpose of brain development, even though they could maybe start at age six and they, in all honesty, maybe that first year would be equivalent um, to three years if they've been doing three to six, because they're just not going to go. The, the, the motor skills are not quite as developed. Um, but is there benefit to actually doing music at an early age, just from your standpoint of brain development and connection um, for a parent and child to consider? Yeah. So my answer to that is it depends. <laughs> I've, I'm t- currently teaching um, 150 students in five grades, K to grade five, actually six wow. grades. And um, I have to tell you, every kid is so different. It's 150 kids and I wouldn't be able to tell you what's the average response to music. I wouldn't. Really, because mm. all I could tell you is a scattered picture. Every kid is responding very differently. So I have two year, um, I have kids in the second grade who have, have built their own guitar because they are obsessed with playing the guitar. <laughs> they come to the music lessons with, with to the classroom, to the Zoom classroom, or before it was the physical classroom, with their own self-built guitar in hand, second grade, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had a four fourth grader come to me last year and look me in the eye and say, you know, I don't like your music class. <laughs> and I said, that's a good conversation to have. Why is that? And she said, it's boring. <laughs> <laughs> I don't learn anything here. And I said, you know what? I've watched you in the class and you are so smart. You are so smart that you are done with all the activities within a minute and a half when everybody is using five. And for the next mm-hmm. three and a half minutes, you're sitting there wondering why are we not moving along? So I said, you mm-hmm. can actually engage others as a team leader and work with them to finish their task and help them. And later on, that will help you in 
college. So suddenly this kid now is engaging in music activities simply because she wants to be helpful and a team leader and engage her mm -hmm. very, very high level of intelligence in a meaningful way. So mm -hmm. every kid comes to the task of music from a very different angle with a very different background mm -hmm. in family dynamics, history, culture, you know, and, and then you take that and you add music to it and you figure out, and you've done that yourself, Monica, and you figure out what's the best fit here. You know, nobody is going to start using a standardized Uh, music school for flute or piano anymore, right? What we do now as, as teachers is we look at the kid and say, what, what are your natural interests and how can I respond to that and coach you um, fulfilling what you're trying to do in music? And so the, the idea that a three-year-old shouldn't be playing piano, probably yes, because the fingers are too small. But then I've seen three-year-olds be obsessed with playing the piano and just using their their forefinger and and tapping along one one tap at a time. Um, there is something to be said. And so it's definitely go ahead. So, yeah, it is individualized. As a private instructor, it's it's really individualized, right? Because you don't want a kid to be frustrated. That would not be the. That would definitely not be the. Um, point. And I know that there's, you know, a lot of those family music classes that are incorporate just a little bit of piano, a little bit of drums, a lot of dancing and uh, a lot of um, interactive thing. That's that's might be nice for that age group of that early thing. But at least you're getting music into their into their world, so to speak. Yes. Well, that said, there is something uh, to be recognized about brain development. So I'm not going to teach a three year old to play play the moonshine sonata. Um, it's, it's not relevant to the kid and it's too difficult, but, and so in, in Germany, when I started music, we were, we were, um, extensively drilled in something called the ORF school, O-R-F-F, -F, ORF school. Mm -hmm. So this guy said, well, let's just have them bang on drums and xylophones. Very cool, but mm -hmm. a very, a little bit, um, non-progressive and, orthodox in its approach. Mm -hmm. But then again, you take that mm -hmm. approach and you marry it with, with San Francisco. So there's a guy, a music teacher in San Francisco, Goodkin, who does amazing stuff. He's also a jazz musician who does amazing stuff with ORF instruments and kids. And he does rhythm mm -hmm. percussion on your shoulders and in the air and clapping. And mm -hmm. he teaches music without much explanation. He just does music and the kids go along mm -hmm. exploring it. And so I found I'm, I'm, I'm teaching at the Vallejo charter school and they use a, um, model called expeditionary learning. You explore like you explore in an expedition the the subject matter that you're studying, right? Um, mm -hmm. the, the music approach is so cool because the kids can explore something that is, number one, entirely new to them. Number two, something th in, that they do in a way they do that nobody else can do the same way they do it, right? Nobody plays the piano the same way. Uh, nobody plays the mm -hmm. flute exactly the same way. You put that instrument into your hand or your mouth, you start playing those notes and immediately your personality, your, your entire being comes to light in that, right? There, there's no escape. Mm -hmm. We know that as musicians, right? That's why we go on stage and we sweat bullets because we know the first note will tell everybody who we are exactly how we are. Mm. And there's no hiding from it. Well, the good news mm. for kids is, yeah. And, the, and you can discover your own talent and your own being by uh, exploring that. So three-year-olds, four-year-olds, they love exploring music. So... My mm -hmm. advice to parents was often, 
and I did that same thing with my kids. You let them choose the instrument. And then mm-hmm. if they are getting bored with that instrument, they move to something else, then you, you let them play that instrument. And then they get bored with that, then you let them move to another instrument. Just make sure they are engaged in music, right? Don't insist right. on them playing the violin from three years old until they're 60. You know, let them do what they want to do mm-hmm. uh, based on their own interest and how their interest shifts. Of course. And three-year-olds don't really have three, five, six, seven, eight-year-olds. They're, they're just develop. They're just finding out what they like, you know? Exactly. So it's, it's lots of different exposure to lots of different things. Um, but it is fascinating, the brain development with um, language and music. And I, again, I, I remember this so many years ago, I think it was 2020 where they um, were teaching a child's uh, a language and they were showing the MRI. So you could see where the, the brain was like, up and you could actually see that pathway being created, like where that information is stored. And I think there is something to be said about the early formative years. It's it's like we're a little bit more of a sponge, right? In the early years with with those um, learning processes. That's why it's easier to learn a language when you're a young child, more so a little bit more tricky, I think, as, as you get a little bit older. Um, so th- that's kind of a benefit to integrating some sort of music studies into that. Now, thinking about academics, and you mentioned online learning and, and such, um, some lots of kids are struggling with online learning, and, and there's been reports that, you know, grades are falling, and motivation in month, we're now at month 11 to this pandemic. Um, so I would think at the time that you're listening to this, and so... Um, how can music be helpful to students that might be struggling with motivation? We're in California. California schools are a little bit um, behind the the rest of the country in terms of reopenings, at least at this moment in time. Um, What kind of suggestions would you give to those parents that are at home um, that have their students struggling? Is there, can music be helpful? Yeah. Good question. So yes, it can be helpful. That's the answer. Uh, The question is how? So we have to set back a little bit here. First, we have to recognize what's happening. All right. Mm -hmm. Um, From the kid's point of view, what's happening from the kid's point of view is a sensory deprivation, right? Can't be outside much. Can't explore. I don't have the wind going into my nose anymore as I used to. I don't smell the smells that I used to right? I don't see my friends. I can't interact socially much. That's a big deprivation of normal, natural life. And what happens? Well, I worked with child welfare services for a while and there's something called child neglect, right? Mm -hmm. Which is based, which is a, which is a very extreme form of deprivation, meaning I'm not going to, to help you grow. Right. Um, I'm not saying that we are in a situation of child neglect at all. I'm just saying that there's a continuum of deprivation and the kids are experiencing it. So I have a few kids who tell me that they have trouble sleeping, that they have trouble focusing. And I am seeing it in the classroom as well and in the one-on-one sessions. And I'm seeing, especially in the last two months, three months, I've seen a rapid decline and the ability to Mm -hmm. focus, Um, even in those kids who are very self-motivated. So I'm very concerned. Now, um, what happens here is that it's that the kids are experiencing a trauma, right? What's a trauma? So, well, we can say a trauma is um, I get hit by a car, right? And I'm smashed to pieces. That's a trauma, right? Or... Mm -hmm. um, I witness a murder, that's a trauma, that's a mental trauma, right? Or I'm in a hurricane and that's both a physical and mental trauma. But what if I experience something that is a little bit stressful to me, but I experience it 500 times a day for 360 days in a row? What happens then? Well, the effect on the brain is the same, right? So a trauma can be going two ways. It can be too much input, right? Stressful. 
Um, so for instance, mm-hmm. if I live in a neighborhood and the police siren is going off every five minutes, that's stressful, right? And that leads to small trauma. We call it small trauma. It doesn't mean that the trauma is not, um, is not impactful. It's just the event is small and repeated. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the, the other, um, uh, on the other side, I can experience trauma because I experience deprivation. For instance, we've seen videos of kids in Serbia who were deprived of human contact. They died, not because they were not fed. They were wow. fed, uh, not because they were uh, not clothed or uh, washed. They were, but they had not no human, almost no human contact. And they died from that. And there was a mental trauma they died from. So I'm not saying we're there. Don't misunderstand me. I'm just Mm -hmm. saying that we need to identify what's going on and we should not close our eyes to the obvious and say, oh, it's not so bad. Mm -hmm. Well, it's neither so bad, nor is it so good, right? It's what it is. And Mm -hmm. kids experience deprivation. Uh, So what do we do? Well, luckily, a Oh, quite a while back, uh, Dr. Bruce Perry from the Child Trauma Academy investigated, researched, and found some solutions on trauma. And he he started out with really big traumas, right? The kid that was locked up in a cage for three years, right? Sitting in his own feces. Mm-hmm. Um, so he started out with these really big traumas and he tried to figure out what's happening in the in the brain when you experience these really big traumas. And so he developed something called the neurosequential model of therapeutics, which means that you, when you rebuild your brain after a trauma, you rebuild your brain from the ground up. You start with a brain stem or you start with the stuff that activates your brain to begin with, you know, the, the pulse of the brain. And then you work your way up until you hit the highest level, which is the neocortex and the frontal lobes that are deciding what you're going to do next, right? Where you have your own agency. Well, he has been working on that for a long time. And then after a while, he started working on uh, the developing an approach to school and education because we've seen that some students in schools are traumatized, right? And so now luckily we have an educational model that's based on this neurosequential model. And bear with me, music is coming in in a moment. So mm-hmm. he's saying mm-hmm. first, when you when when you study and when you want to focus, first you have to make sure you're not stressed or you mitigate the stressors in your life. Right? How do you do that? Well, you have to you have to calm the brainstem because the brainstem is the guy, so to speak, in your brain who says, "There's a saber tooth coming, run away!" Right? That's why we, when we see a car coming at us. We jump out of the way before we think, right? There are some impulses in our mm-hmm. brain that that take a minute and a half to reach the neocortex. By that time, it's too late. The saber-toothed tiger has you. The car has hit you. So we have some reactions in our brain that are incredibly fast and incredibly sensitive to the environment. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, the brainstem and... So he said, you got to have that brainstem calmed and satisfied. And the way he does that is by bringing pulse to that brainstem, continuous pulse and drumming. So guess what? Bruce Perry says, the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to sit everybody down and we're going to have them drum in a drum circle, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Repetitive (laughs) motions, you know? You brush your teeth at eight o'clock in the morning, right? You sit down for lunch at noon. You know, all the family gathers at the dinner table at six. Repetitive motions again and again, order in the brain. Um, He partnered with music therapists who do that with amazing results. 
And so the first thing that we need to do is help our kids get that order in place for their own mental health, right? A very clear laid out uh, schedule of the day and then have them engage in drumming. Now, as, as basic as this sounds, I've had some amazing F, uh, uh, results with kids just doing that. So when I teach music in classrooms, uh, the first thing in the second, you know, the second lesson, we start building our drums, right? We start building our own drums mm -hmm. and then we start drumming. <clears throat> and uh, after that, then when your, when your response is calm and um, you're satisfied that you're in an ordinary predictable life, right? Right now, now you can start focusing on stuff, right? You can focus on the book that you have to read. You can start focusing on the math problem that you have to have and so forth. Um, mm -hmm. But it has to be based on the schedule, on the ritual, on the order that you no longer have to um, establish, Right now, the brain energy that you use to make that order happen in your life, that's done, right? And now you can focus on something else. That's the reason why we drive to work every morning. It's the same. It's it's the same street. It's the same lights. Mm -hmm. It's the same environment. And after a while, we think maybe we should start texting um, because we can do this automatically, right? Uh, no, we should not start texting. <laughs> number one, <laughs> the law, and number two, uh, you're not that good. You know, you're not that automatic. There's mm -hmm. other other cars on the road with you, but we, we get that feeling. Maybe we should do something else because this is boring. Why? Because we've spent this energy on learning the pathway, learning how to react to it, and now we can do it automatically. And so that's the same with kids mm -hmm. in in everyday life, they need to have that automatic, this is my schedule. I don't need to spend any, any energy on establishing it. It's done, right? And now I need to focus on reading and writing and doing the math. And um, that has been working well, except what are the tools, right? What are the tools? So uh, I found that music is the primary tool. In fact, drumming is the primary tool for the kids to be able to focus. Last, there's a very good um, program by Daniel Goleman, the guy who wrote about uh, emotional intelligence. It's called Focus for Kids, Focus for Teens. Those are exercises that are very child-specific um, and they are for breathing and calming yourself down and being able to be in that mindful state so that you can actually absorb new information. But the first thing you got to do is calm your brain so something new can come in. Um, if you're in an agitated state, there's no reason for you to add more to the agitation by reading Romeo and Juliet, right? <laughs> Yeah. So music is one of those tools, to, both for calming the brain, but also for part of the routine, I would imagine, because, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of screen time. And although um, some music learning might be more screen time, um, you know, once a week, there's a lot of off screen time activity for students to do um, and self-express because music is that communication like you were you were establishing. So um, I know for me personally, when I talk to my private students, because private is different a little bit, you know, this a um, little different than the classroom, you get to know the individual and you could customize it a little bit. You know, I found for me that I'm actually working on routines for music. Okay. Tell me your schedule. Let's see if we can stand up and practice in this room. Um, you know, where there's a little bit of fresh air and sunlight, um, during this day, part of the day, and then go and do this, you know, just to get them out of their, their bedroom, you know, that they're, they're in, you know, for studying for, for a lot of the day. I think that that can be really healthy. And, um, at least during this pandemic, I've rethought how I talk about music integration and, um, 
And it's very different. I mean, you have much more expertise, but you know, you, it's almost become like a problem solving tool. So how are you doing? How's your week? And then, okay, this is going on and this is going on. Okay. Let's figure out how we can use music as that tool to make this better for us. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, Goodkin has this really cool approach. He just starts drumming <laughs> before yeah. any words. He doesn't, he, mm. you know, this guy comes into a classroom and he doesn't say anything. He just starts hitting his shoulders. One tap, one tap, right? And mm -hmm. and then off you go. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know? That's and very I've cool. Seen, I've, I've learned so much from him and I've started doing that in the classroom. You know, I, maybe in a 20 minute period, I'd say uh, maybe 40 sentences over a 20 minute period. Right. Mm -hmm. So the rest is action, exploration, mm -hmm. them doing what they need to do to explore. Right. Mm -hmm. um, right. So, and, and music is exactly that. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Music is that where you shut your mouth and you explore, <laughs> or you open your mouth, right. blow into the flute and you explore. Yeah. Even right. if you. And I want to go back to one. You explore, right? You explore how you are going to say that word in song, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah I want to go back to something you said earlier, because I think it's really important. And you were talking about how we remember things, how the brain works a little bit, how we remember things if it's put to a song um, versus if we just had to memorize them without that melody. And um, for any teachers out there, I mean, we all know the alphabet song. We all learned A, B, C, D, E, F, G in a song form. And that's, you know, I still sing that song in my head when I when I need to think about what alphabetical order or something. Um, so, you know, there are there's a lot of creativity exercise you can do even in math and um, whatever the subject matter is to make it more creative, because I, I know that I have really um, grown as a teacher by the challenges that were posed during this last year. Um, and teachers that have been teaching for many, many years might have uh, had to pull out more, more tools than they would have to reach students. So, it, you know, those songs um, to help with a concept or just break up the day or get into a new routine or the drumming, even as you say, you can even do beats behind learning concepts. So I'm imagining there's just so much out there that you can, you know, be creative and teachers are creative. Um, even if you're not a music teacher, music as a tool to be put into the classroom in all subjects can actually be really helpful, right? I've seen I, I mean, the, the privilege I have is I attach myself to the teacher in the classroom in the Zoom meetings. So I've seen, mm -hmm. I've seen eight teachers do eight different things so far, um, and I am highly impressed how they are able to hone. Into the individual talents that the students have, even if there's 22 students on the screen and engage them. I have identified the, the parts that work, you know, among all of them. And the parts that work are, um, number one, the explorative approach. You know, I notice, I wonder, I guess. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. so there are no preconceived solutions. You know, there is no, what's two plus two? Well, it's always four, right? Except if you're in, in a different geometric model, it's not, right? So I wonder what mm -hmm. two plus two could be in what kind of environment, right? Um, so mm -hmm. I could see the minds of those kids respond to that. And then it doesn't even matter, mm -hmm. I have to say, whether you're in a Zoom meeting or you're in the classroom. But I tell you, I've seen the same teachers in the classroom and I see how they transport their, uh, their skills from the classroom into the Zoom meeting. Um, so uh, you have to have that experience as a teacher. I have seen how valuable mm. teachers are for the kids, especially now in the Zoom meetings, because I can see that they can bring the kids along. Now, you ask any teacher, mm -hmm. they would prefer to be in a classroom with the kids, right? Absolutely. But mm -hmm. I'm not seeing a, 
a catastrophe. I'm not seeing a disaster. I'm not seeing a big loss of education. I'm seeing some deficits um, because of uh, mm-hmm. because the proximity of the learning is not there. But um, the the activity of learning is is still prevalent. And why is that? Because kids want to learn. Right now, that's the, that's the first thing we learned uh, as adults about COVID and kids. They are expressing their desire to learn. I want to learn something. I want to do something here. And it's now up to us to respond to that adequately. Right. Yes, teachers are doing awesome. And I just want to put one little plug in for uh, one of our new partners um, for, you know, because they do have a lot. These teachers have a lot of students on there. If, if any student needs more personalized um, tutoring things, uh, Mobile Homeroom has given all of our listeners two free weeks of personalized one-on-one instruction. So I'm going to put their episode um, their websites in the episode notes, but it's just mobilehomeroom.com and tell them that you heard it here. Um, and that is a free two week program, which is awesome. So, awesome. you know, I'm, I'm sure they help with motivation and schoolwork as well, because everyone learns differently. And um, some, I, I've even had a couple of students that actually say they prefer the online um, format because they just like the, the flow that they can create themselves. Um, but I think that that's a unique experience. Um, that's that's a couple of my students are having. So definitely there are options out there to help um, if students are being um, having difficulty or they're just not challenged enough. That's the other thing, like your student, you were saying in the classroom that, you know, just needed more. They're so bored because that could actually, you know, happen too. you know, if you need more of a creative, customized challenge for a gifted or a student that's really um, not being challenged quite as much in that setting. It's also very, very important. So I'm keeping an eye on our time. We've talked about so much here. And as I as I listen to you, I know we've had conversations about this. I was thinking about the earlier part of our conversation when you were talking about the car and the mm. ranking of the, the engine here. Um, as I connect what music and brain is, it feels like to me that that music could be part of the crank that will crank up the brain to help you with the emotional state of right now and every day, you know, we're always going to have challenges in our life. This just happens to be everyone is having the challenge at the same exact moment in time. Um, But I kind of think of it like that, like, you know, that the crank is the creative fuel that will help you have a tool to manage your emotional well-being as well as your, um, you know, the academic components to being successful as a school-age student. Would you say that's true? Yes. So yes. this guy, uh, Levitin, Daniel, who mm-hmm. studied the brain on music, his mentor at Stanford, Roger Shepard, discovered or researched that our minds actually co-evolved with the physical world. So, uh, quote, our minds co-evolved with the physical world changing in response to ever-changing conditions, meaning we can't actually say there's a brain here and an environment over there, right? Um, mm. we've, we've, we've seen it like that because our f- uh, model of physics has told us that, but it's actually not true. So our, as our model of physics evolves, um, we're actually seeing that the brain is part of the environment and the environment is part of the brain. And there's an, a, an, um, a total interaction between the two, <clears throat> also in the sense that the brain involve, uh, evolves as the environment evolves with us. So we don't know what it means for a brain to to stare at the screen for eight hours a day. We don't know that yet, right? Mm. Is it good? Is it bad? I don't know. Mm. You know, but what we do know is the brain will evolve with that. Okay, um, mm. right? Do we want that? So that's the question we we need to ask ourselves. Um, now that we know that the environment influences the brain, meaning I see what's out there with my eyes. Not because it's out there, but because I see it with my eyes. So that's a slight, subtle, but very important difference. Yeah. If I say orange, mm-hmm. you see an orange, and I see an orange, we would never be able to tell that we say see this exact same thing, right? Color orange or the orange, um, orange 
we wouldn't know. I know there's no way we can mm -hmm. tell, except we do know that our eyes see it, right? When we hear mm. something outside, we know it's it's happening because our brain is predisposed through that cranking up to hear what's outside, mm -hmm. right? We when we when we smell something, the same thing, right? So the the brain is an active participant in the environment, whether we want it or not. It's always there. It's always doing something. Um, so now that we know that, how do we make the best of the situation, right? So now we, we have to be really careful what we do in the environment to shape that brain, right? Um, not that we have to be cautious. I said, I didn't say cautious. I said careful, right? Um, that's why music is so important Because imagine you do music, and we've done it for hundreds and almost, you know, as as teams and groups, thousands of years. We've done music together. We've sat down in chambers. We played music together. It's very difficult to be mean, psychotic, and um, antisocial in in music groups. It's very hard to do that. Mm. Immediately, the music right. gets you into an environment where you are a team player. If you're not, it shows. And the focus mm -hmm. is to be on it to be that team player, right? You're immediately mm -hmm. conscious of what the others are doing, and you immediately try to adjust mm -hmm. yourself to that. So, <clears throat> why is that important? There, there's a there's a book called The Biology of Belief. So in, in medicine, we know that there's something called the placebo effect. Um, and mm. uh, it, the placebo effect can be so strong that it can overpower even the medication effect, right? Uh, so the biology of belief tells us that we are able to tell our brain that this is so, and then the brain will adapt that and run with it and form the environment accordingly. So for instance, when we use music, we can tell our brain that we are a team player and then we will start acting like a team player. And it's mm -hmm. an incredible um, gift that we have received mm -hmm that we are able to use music to become better beings, right? Um, yeah. Not because we are innately wanting to be, become better beings, but because we are innately wanting to do music, right? Everybody whistles or mm -hmm. drums or taps or whatever. And um, so that's, that's this um, motivation that we have. And sometimes we don't even know that we have it, but we do have it to to fit in, to be that team player, to be with the others, to socially interact. And the best avenue that I've discovered is through music. Yeah. And that's a great point is that music makes us better beings that we all feel it. it, it it's is a sensory experience, as you explained. But um, in the ensemble, is a, that is a very much of a team player thing and leadership building. So um, and I think that could be said of a lot of the arts in general, but um, but it definitely pertains to music as well um so I, i'm seeing our time here i think that that might be a good place to wrap us up music makes us better beings whether you're um starting off in that nursery place and needing that calming down at the first day one or if you're uh, you know an adult and are using music to help you continue to develop your brain because it's a it's a muscle we all know that and it's great to 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 keep building our um, long-term cognitive brain health um, with music, which is which is what I want to do when I get older, when I grow up. Um, so I think this is a nice place to end. I am going to put your information in the episode notes so people can find you. I know you teach private lessons. It's like what piano, guitar. Um, Uh, voice, drums, of course. Uh, so if anyone wants to study privately with Stefan, you can find him in the episode notes. Um, and we're offering free trial lessons if someone wants to try out an instrument. So you can um, contact him directly and see if it's a good fit for your lifestyle and um, 
Pan's journey. So we're going to wrap it up here. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please like, share, subscribe, and review if you're on Apple Music. It helps us reach, reach a wider audience so that we can get more listenership to people that would um, enjoy these episodes. Until next week, bye-bye. Thanks, everybody, for listening. <laughs>